0: I shudder a bit as I get up here this morning. Um, I'm not gonna talk about divorce and remarriage, that's for sure. <laughs> um, but it's interesting because I honestly had forgotten that Mark was coming and and um, and the Lord put on my heart to tell a story. So I'm gonna tell you a story from my own experience that, That uh, is all true, and um, maybe some of you have heard it, but first, um, I have a number, 24,844,746, and you might wonder what that number has to do with anything. That's the number of ping pong balls that can fit in a C-5 galaxy. So, or you can take one tank or you can take six helicopters or uh, 350 fully equipped troops. So after the war in Ukraine, um, the Antonov 225 used to be the biggest plane ever made that was operational. That was destroyed. So now the C-5 is the biggest uh, plane. I mean, biggest cargo plane there is. So I used to fly that, the C-5, between uh, 1994 and 1998. And there was a there was a flight that I had that I uh, I'll never forget. It was really um, quite an interesting flight. And in the beginning of the day, we had no idea, you know, this would happen, but we started out in Europe somewhere, probably in Germany. Um, and I don't even remember what the cargo was, but we had to go from Germany to uh, Gander, Newfoundland. Uh, and there was, we called it a gas and go. So it was like four hours on the ground, fuel up and replan everything and then go. And we were going to Idaho. Uh, Mountain Home Air Force Base in Idaho. And so I was kind of a new co-pilot in the right seat. Um, Does everybody know the C5? It's it's a really big four engine, four jet engines. You can actually fit a C130 in the C5. So it's really large. Uh, Max takeoff weights about 840,000 pounds. so anyway, we fly in, we're we flying from Europe over the ocean, and we're talking with <clears throat> Gander Oceanic Control. And I said, hey, I was the co-pilot. And I said, hey, do you have a time for a question? And I said, hey, we're going to be in Gander for about four hours. Is there any way that we can get a tour, that the pilots can come over and get a tour of Gander Oceanic Control Center? And, um, and the guy's like, "Yeah, uh, my name's Tom. just call this phone number after you land and and uh, come on over i'll I'll meet you, and I'll give you a tour." So we landed in in uh, Gander and um, and we got a taxi and went into into town to this building without windows, and basically go in uh, escorted by Tom, and he's like here's where, you know, the radio calls come in and here's how we uh, plot the aircraft crossing the North Atlantic tracks. Uh, there's like a track system from Europe to the US and then back again. Um, and then, you know, here's how it all works. And, and so we told them, hey, we're heading out to uh, Mountain Home, Idaho uh, tonight. And he's like, great, I'm gonna be working your flight. I'll be your air traffic control. And I'm like, great. And so we brought, it, he gave us a ride back to the airplane, to the airport, and uh, we gave him a tour of the C5 and jumped into the seat and, and uh, blasted off. So, um, and Tom's the controller. I'm like, hey, this is great. You know, we can have a face to put with the voice and So the C5, this is before days of GPS, and the C5 could navigate all around the world using what was called an inertial navigation system, an INS, and what it did is it basically was a super basic computer, because this was designed in 1969, and it would basically have three gyroscopes, and every time you told the plane where you are, and then every time the plane moved in any three of the dimensions, the gyroscopes would sense the movement, even really small movement, half a mile an hour even. And the computer would say, okay, you're moving this direction, and now you're here, and now you're here, and so forth. And the INS also controlled our attitude indicator. so. The attitude indicator is basically a false horizon in the plane and it's shaped like a ball and basically that stays fixed and the plane turns around it. So the gyroscopes and the INS's control that. So they would control our navigation and the the um, attitude. So we take off and a friend of mine was in the The captain's seat in the left seat, I'm the first officer. I'm working the radios and he's flying. And um, so we take off and everything's fine. And it was pitch black out. Uh, Once we climbed up a little bit, got close to cruising altitude, there was zero visual anything out of the windows. I mean, it was black. It was just no stars, no lights on the ground. And we're heading northwest over northern Canada. So even if we could see the ground, there were no lights. There was nothing. It was like black paper on the windshield. But we don't care, because it's day or night. We can fly in the clouds or whatever. And uh, so Tom said, and our call sign was REACH. Hey, REACH. uh, you're cleared direct to Goose Bay. And we're like, okay. So we go down to the computer, direct Goose Bay. It's about 350 miles away. And we're like, okay, execute. And plane's supposed to turn, it's on autopilot. And the plane turns and then uh, Tom comes across the radio and says, uh, hey, Reach, um, I say again, you're clear, direct, Goose Bay. And and we're like, for me, when the controller does that, it's like, hmm, you're not doing something right, you know, so put it in again, okay, go, let's go execute. And uh, Tom says, uh, reach, um, if you wanna go to Goose Bay, it's 30 degrees to the left, and we're like, so, at this point, we're starting to think something's weird, something's going on. So, I try to do some different things in the plane, you know, checking everything, and everything seems fine. And we enter it again. And so, by this time, we're cruising along maybe 30 or 35 minutes. And I'm starting to think we're not going where he says. We're supposed to be going. And we're like, hey, can you give us a heading uh, so that we can get this sorted out? To give it a heading. Reach, I still don't show you going to Goose Bay. And so I'm like, this is not good. So I started saying, you know, we're gonna lose radar coverage here soon. We're gonna be, out in the middle of nowhere, I mean literally, and not, I'm thinking this, not know where we are. It's gonna be black out the window. And I can't, we can't see the ground. We can't even, we don't even know if we're upright at this point. Now there's a standby gauge. This is a plane the side that the Wright brothers could have flown their whole flight through the cargo bay This is how big this plane is. And now I'm looking at a standby compass that's about two inches in diameter and the whiskey compass. So all of these electronics seem useless. And so finally we're like, we don't know where we are. We're going to lose radar coverage. They're not gonna be able to see us. We don't know where we're going. We're lost. And I'm just like, we can't be lost. This is a multi-million dollar plane with triple INS and blah blah blah. And so we're like, yeah, but we're Air Force pilots, right? So we're just like super stud pilots. And we just absolutely refuse to admit that we're lost. But we're like, hey, Tom, you know, we're having a little navigation difficulty. Wondered if you could give us a heading back to uh, Gander. So we're gonna return, right? Before we head out into the middle of nowhere. Okay, clear direct Gander. <laughs> okay, execute. Uh, Reach, if you wanna go to direct Gander, You need to turn 40 degrees right. And we're like, ah. So we get below this haze and I start seeing lights on the ground. And we're all on headsets because the plane's so loud inside. And (laughs) I said, hey, I think Gander's over there. Fly that way. And the pilot, he says, no, Gander's over there. Fly that way we're going to go this way. And I said, no, I think it's this way. And the guy totally in the back of the cargo compartment says, hey, you pilots, I think you guys are lost. And I said, we're not lost. We know exactly where we are, denial. And so uh, call up Tom and said, Tom, we need no gyro vectors back to Gander. no gyro vectors. He says, okay, reach, turn right, stop turn. Turn left, stop turn. So he, we just turn and he tells us when to stop. And then he corrects our path. So finally he corrects our path. We get lined up on the runway and we land. And we're like, what is the deal? So we left the engines running. And we shut all the electronics off, turned everything off, and started them up again. And a warning light comes up on the INS. And we're like, hey, where does this thing think we are? Because we know our parking spot, we know the longitude, latitude, where we are. And the INS is not showing that. In fact, it's showing that we're in the Eastern hemisphere. We're on, it thinks we're on the other side of the world. And so we said, hey, you guys, you know, who loaded this thing? Of course, it was my job. Who loaded this, but we were on the tour, right? And uh, the flight engineer said, oh, I loaded it. I said, you put an Eastern hemisphere, what? didn't you get a warning light? And there's a warning light that says, you're off by 20 miles from your previous shutdown position. Why, are you sure you wanna enter this? Are you really sure? Clear, he cleared all the messages. Clear, 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 enter, yeah. So every time the plane said, we wanna go here, the plane thought we were in Russia, flying over the North Pole, trying to get to Goose Bay or a gander, or whatever. So, there are, as I started thinking about it, and and I was kind of mulling this over all week, there are so many spiritual lessons from this story, and I'd like to share some. I had a, there was a verse from um, a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago from Hebrews that I really, it just caught, caught my attention, and so I'm gonna read the verse. It's uh, Hebrews 2, 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? Talking about neglect, okay. And, but first, some of the lessons from the story. The INS, Inertial Navigation System, started with the wrong position, right? They, flight engineer entered the wrong present position and there were warning clues. Hey, are you sure? The computer's saying, are you sure? that you want to start at this position. And they're like, yeah, 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 we're sure, okay. Some neglect, right? But if you don't start in the right position, you can't know where you are. You can't even know where you're going. And <clears throat> this there's spiritual, Uh, applications there, right? So we tried to use our internal navigation system to navigate, but it was an error, right? And before I became a Christian, this is how my internal navigation was. It was an error. I had believed wrong things about who God was and what his intentions were for my life. So it took the controller saying, hey, where are you going? What are you doing? And Tom, as good controllers all are, is very calm, okay? No matter how bad the situation is, he had a calm, steady voice. Uh, Just, hey. So he was an external input into our little cockpit there, our world, saying, you're going the wrong way. And this is how I felt like when I became a Christian, how I felt like the Holy Spirit was. And <clears throat> the Word of God, you're going the wrong way. You're on the wrong flight path. You're, you need to... Reset and start over, and you need to go this way. And God is saying, I'm your external um, sensor, if you will, saying, go this way. And we knew if we waited too long, we would lose the guidance of the controller and the radar. Okay? if we just kept on trucking, which we had started to do, all black, couldn't see anything, heading out into Northern Canada, no navigation aids on the ground, it was before GPS. If we lose radar, we're just out there. We're who knows where, and there's virtually no way to get back. <clears throat> But the time, the clock is ticking, right? The fuel is burning. And this is like our life. Our lives are ticking along. The clock is ticking. Okay? Everyone, whether you're young or old, there's an expiration date. <clears throat> but it took us humility, we wouldn't have said it then, but it took us humility to say, hey, we're lost hey, we need to get on the right track. We need to follow what's right. <clears throat> the, farther, the farther north in Canada we got, the likelihood of a successful outcome decreased. So we had to go back and it was important that we turned back to Gander and start it over of course in the end we had to as a side note we had to we told the truth on the flight log and then we had to report to the commander when we got back to base stand in his office at attention he's saying why are you why were you so stupid and we had to give an account right so we'll all have to give an account of our actions with the lord So if you're not saved by the blood of Jesus, you have to have a humility to admit that you're lost. Realize your internal guidance is off course and without outside guidance, you will not reach your destination. Furthermore, like as our fuel was getting burned and our flight time was limited, our life here has an expiration date. Don't just drone through the night without guidance. Run out of time and disappear into the darkness. And this is what our flight would have done if we had just kept on droning on through the night without taking some kind of action to remedy our situation. This is like our life. Don't just drone through the night and hope. For those of us who are saved, for by grace you are saved through faith, and not that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man boast. Have we neglected our salvation? Going back to Hebrews 2, three. Have we forgotten or haven't thought much about how great our salvation is? Barnes notes on the Bible. This is a commentary, I hadn't really heard of Barnes before but there's a giant, like a 10 volume series on uh, the Bible. I'm gonna read <clears throat> what, he wrote about this verse. Uh, it's very um, <laughs> focus on one word of, often. Okay, so <clears throat> this is Barnes Notes on the Bible. Neglect is enough to ruin a man. A man who is in business need not commit forgery or robbery to ruin himself. He has only to neglect his business, and his ruin is certain. A man who is lying on a bed of sickness need not cut his throat or destroy, to destroy himself. He has only to neglect the means of restoration and he will be ruined. A man floating on a skiff above Niagara need not move an oar or make an effort to destroy himself. He has only to <clears throat> neglect using the ore at the proper time, and he will certainly be carried over the cataract. By neglect of education, children grow up into ignorance. By neglect, a farm grows up to weeds and briars. By neglect, a house goes to decay. By neglect of sowing, a man will have no harvest. By neglect of reaping, the harvest would rot in the fields. No worldly interest can prosper where there is neglect. And why may it not be so in religion? There is nothing in earthly affairs that is valuable that will not be ruined if not attended to. And why may it not be so with the concerns of the soul? Let no one infer, therefore, that because he is not a drunkard or an adulterer or a murderer, that therefore he will be saved. Have we not heard of people saying, oh, I haven't, commil- uh, I haven't murdered anybody. I'm, God'll, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm good. Or my good has outweighed my bad. Such an inference would be as irrational as it would be for a man to infer that because he is not a murderer, his farm will produce a harvest, or that he is not an adulterer, therefore his merchandise will take care of itself. Salvation would be worth nothing if it costs no effort, and there would be no salvation where no effort is put forth. Don't take God for granted. Don't take our great salvation for granted. And this is, I see a lot. People that, <clears throat> I, when I, when I um, married Katie, in my vows I put, I don't wanna ever take you for granted. And I have failed in some of those at some point, but I want to remember that. Let's not take our blessings for granted. Like aircraft preventive maintenance to avoid accidents, our Christian life requires maintenance to avoid neglect. Like aircraft accidents due to complacency, have we put our faith, our have we put our Christian life on autopilot? I know I have at times. Good to go. Everything's fine. Just cruising along. Okay? Then when I heard the verse a few months ago, or a couple, few weeks ago, I was thinking, have I neglected my salvation? And what a great salvation it is. God has reached down and put his finger on our life and said, you. And I remember when I did that, it took some time and thought back to when I was first saved. I'm not sure why he chose me. I'm not sure why I'm here in church and now out at the lake or doing whatever Sunday morning. Uh, I was not on this path. I was on the path where I want to just do whatever I want to do. And God said no. And now I look back and I think, how great is this salvation? How great is our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ? If it was not for him, I'd just be cruising out in the darkness on autopilot, just heading out, running out of fuel, running out of time, out into the darkness, except he brought us, me, into the light and said, hey, time to get on a course, get your act together. I, I, I thank him and I wanted to thank him more We have a term in flying we call it situational awareness. And situational awareness basically says, you need to have a big picture of what's going on, and then deal with the little items to get you where you need to go. So I think about situational awareness of our Christian life. It's important to keep things in perspective. A lack of situational awareness might say, you missed the forest for the trees, and this is something I think we need to be careful about. Have we let petty differences cloud the fact that that other person is a brother or sister in the Lord and also a beneficiary of this great salvation that I'm talking about? Have we focused on the details and lost the big picture. I think it's important to look back and remember what led us to salvation, what that first salvation time was like. And for me, I'm a very logical person. It wasn't, oh, the trees were greener and the sky was bluer and everything's great. No, it was a decision. I've decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow him. And then the the growth started happening. And my love for Christ has grown over the years from just the decision to I want to follow you. I chose to follow you. Anyway. It's important that we know that we haven't strayed from the narrow way. And I talked about the outside guidance in my story. Okay, here's the outside guidance. This is, hey, get on the right way. Oh, you're straying. Okay, get back to the word. Follow the Holy Spirit. So I'm just trying to express that it's important that even us, who's in church today on a Sunday morning, let's not neglect the salvation, the great salvation that we have. Just so remember to thank the Lord. Remember to praise Him and to just, I mean, to take a sin, sinful person and to translate that person to heaven. I mean, that's a miracle. It's a It's truly a great salvation. Let's remember not to neglect that. Thank you.